It's a perfectly normal day in Little Whinging, and you're listening to The Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for people who are tired of election news. Hmm. Difficult. Very difficult. Plenty of courage, I see. Not a bad mind, either. Has talent. Oh, my goodness, yes. And a nice thirst to prove yourself. Now that's interesting. So, where shall I put you? Not Slytherin, eh? Well, if you're sure, better be Gryffindor! I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. Welcome to The Quibbler. Episode 2. This podcast will contain a couple of things you might want to know about and get very excited for. Explicit language, spoilers, and adult themes. Uh, This week's adult themes will include... Binge eating. They eat so much candy on the way, train. Way too much candy. They eat an insane number of chocolate frogs. He gets like 10 trading cards. Madame Pomfrey should stage an intervention, I think. Social anxiety. Hats that read your thoughts. The existential dread that comes with making new friends and trying to convince them that you are normal. Also, there's a giant, again... We like him, but we like you know, him, but it's, it's for grown-ups. Yeah, it's adult. Alex, do you want to tell us what happened? Where we last left, Harry Potter trying to bum a ride to King's Cross Station from his aunt and uncle. They gotta go because they have to. to go, they have to go to London anyway because uh, Dudley has a rat's tail, no, a pig's tail, growing out of his ass. Uh, I don't know how they're gonna explain that, but it'll probably show up in the mirror or whatever crazy tabloid they have in uh, London. And Harry goes to platform nine and three quarters. Um, he finds it through the help of the Weasleys, who he instantly falls in love with. Then he meets his best friend for life. Ron Weasley, they're on the train, Malfoy comes in, mouths off, there's a rat fight, they get to Hogwarts, they ride a boat, uh, they get sorted by a wizard algorithm hat, and then the magic proceeds. I think then they go to bed. Then oh, they, they have a feast. They have a feast. They have they, there's more binge eating. So, it really is and a then lot they, of eating and in then these they two go, chapters. Then they go to sleep. And right. they call it a very eventful day. And that's where we are. So, first things first, I think that you and I should talk about the infrastructure of the Wizarding World just a little bit. Yeah. There's this great moment really early on where Uncle Vernon makes this very funny comment where he says that it's a funny, that a steam engine, I think he just says train, that where he says a train is a funny way to get to a school for (laughs) magic, what's the matter, magic carpets all sprung a leak. And at first you're like, shut up, Uncle Vernon, you're a douchebag. And then you think, hmm, that is kind of weird. That guy's right. Yeah, also Hagrid didn't leave any instructions for Harry. Harry. Mm, Big old... (laughs) Huge oversight. Right. Harry has no good guardianship. Um, Hagrid didn't tell him the very basic information that you have to run through a wall to get onto the, like, weird steampunk wizard. We talked about this last time. Wizards don't have electricity. (laughs) Not only do wizards not have, you know, the internet or smartphones or any of the things that today are in our lives basically magic... So not only do they not have those technological innovations, but the Wizarding World is run on candlelight 
and basically yeah slave ma- labor yeah magic candles and steam point being wizard technology is not great they've clearly relied way too heavily on wands and sort of not invented anything it's a weirdly but what, but what wizards do understand and what jk rowling understands so well is that trains themselves are fucking awesome yeah trains are great no i love trains i think trains are amazing i'm just saying uncle vernon's right it seems like it's like an eight hour train ride it seems like with magic one of the early things you would do is make mass transport more efficient well there are we'll get to some We'll right, but none tra- of it's yeah, mass. That's, that's, that's true. You're it right. It can't no, move transit. more than five to ten people. With any, I mean, the flu network, forget about it. I, sorry, way ahead of myself. But I really do. I just, wizards have this crutch of magic. And as a result, their innovation culture is totally non-existent. Uh, they don't make new things. I just have to say, there is a couple of moments in these early chapters where I, when I was a kid, thought that Uncle Vernon was being a muggle basically and looking back i'm like that's a really good point it is (laughs) it is insane that you have to go get on a train it's not even a like maybe it's a magic train how would you prefer they get there magic carpets i feel like uncle vernon had a good point the carpet's not very large like you'd have to put your bag on it Uh, that uh rug-based transportation is not superior to steam locomotion it's cooler uh i beg to differ you would really rather get on a regular-ass train than take a magic carpet. Where are they going to put the snack cart on a... Ma- How big is this fucking carpet you're True. talking about? okay. Is this yeah. like the Oscars carpet? That's too thin. <laughs> it's a red carpet. They it's not the red carpet. On a red it's carpet. one giant, long red carpet that goes all the way to Hogwarts. Doesn't make sense. No, that sounds sick. That sounds really great. You you know, the that only carpet point... in the sky? You... Uh, the point you make that actually resonates is that there's no snack carpet. Well, maybe there's... A, if the snack carpet flew alongside... Yeah. Okay, so Alex is pro-train. I'm a train skeptic. Yeah. The Hogwarts Express is a great set piece, so that I get. Harry, this- Harry talks about, he's like, I don't know where I'm going. It's better than where I'm coming from. The train evokes that feeling of forward motion. That's true. And you're not going back. It's a track. It's a, it's what a symbolic way. at the end of the track is more... It's almost better than it's not crazy magic because he doesn't know what to expect. He's familiar with the train. The train is actually kind of a normal, it's right. kind of a familiar environment for him. But except for the, the 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 candies are like crazy as fuck. But even the candies are not that crazy. Like they just have grosser jelly beans and cr- better holograms. <laughs> You're right. They have just Pokemon cards, but for wizards. Wizard and Pokemon cards. Disgusting jelly now, beans. Now that'd be great if you could battle the wizards with your. Uh, with See, the chocolate frog cards. iPhones are better. That's true. We can battle our wizards. <laughs> our, wi- our wizards. I'm sorry. The that most- <laughs> is a not a good Harry Potter approach. Technology is not. Coming up, we are coming out guns blazing against the wizarding world well, this just episode. Clearly, we're, feeling- we're just muggles. I'm yeah. sorry. I, I really, I, I know that about myself. You need to get back on this magic I'm train. A, I'm a muggle. It's you need fine. to get back on the magic train. Let's get back to the train okay. for a second. Get back to the train. You, you said the train's a great set piece. What? Why does it work? What makes it a great set piece? It's contained. Oh. Most of the important characters of the series, not most, I would say all of the important young characters, all of the non-adults are on this train right now. It's a really efficient and elegant way to meet everyone. 
because you have this kind of like noises off bullshit of people <laughs> just clattering in and out of each other's train compartments. Neville lost his toad. Hermione is being a boss ass bitch. You meet Crab and Goyle because they're trying to like steal the candy from Ron. It's just a whole, but you just have all this like in and out, like the door clattered open again and there was another incredibly important character that will grow deeply beloved or deeply hated in your heart over the next seven books. It's this rove, like kind of just moving sidewalk of the whole important cast of characters. So yeah, it's an efficient use of the physical space of the novel to introduce a lot of huge characters and also a lot of huge themes and a lot of, and to sort of set and triangulate and immediately even complicate the central relationships in this book. Harry, Ron, and Hermione all share space for the first time on the Hogwarts Express. They don't like each other a lot, but the way that that those relationships are established matter throughout the rest of the series. And one of the very first relationships comes together in a really lovely way, the Hogwarts Express, Harry and Ron. Harry and Ron are great. Harry and Ron are a really interesting pairing in this book because they each each of their lives fills the central void in the life of the other one. So Harry, poor Harry. I know. Oh, Harry says though honestly one of the most touching things in the book. Um, there's just a little aside. Ron has brought his dry pastrami sandwiches that corned beef. Sorry, his dry corned beef sandwiches that his very busy mom has forgotten that he hates corned beef and has made corned beef sandwiches for all five of his brothers. And Harry has pockets full of gold for the first time in his life and decides that worth he wants an undetermined wants amount. An unde- yeah. Worth an undetermined amount of money. <laughs> yeah, he could have $100,000. He has no idea. But. He has, it's true, and we have no idea. So he has money for the first time and he has freedom for the first time and he says, what I'm going to do, you know, he does what any 11-year-old boy would do, which is buy a fuck ton of chocolate with his $100,000. And, and pumpkin pasties. There's some... There's some vegetables in there. I I don't Loose. think it's an actual vegetable. I think it's pumpkin packs, pasty, like pumpkin pie. Or a pumpkin spice latte. Yes, it's a pumpkin spice he pasty. Get some pumpkin spice pasties. He's like, I don't know, it's September 1st, it's fall. He's in Ugg boots. Yeah. Harry's like, I just want my PSL. So uh, anyway, he buys these sweets, he comes back in. Ron looks longingly at his sweets and then back at his sad sandy. The hungry motherfucker he is. And Harry says, please have some. I want to try everything and I know I can't eat all of this. And then there's this aside and it says, Harry had never had anything to share and no one to share it with anyway. And it was a very nice feeling. And Harry feels great about it. And man, you just... I'm like tearing up now. Yeah, you want to give him a big hug. As a kid who has never had anyone in his life, to have one of the most meaningful early experiences be sharing, he's a good kid. Yeah. Harry's a good kid. Harry's such a complicated character, especially later on. But he's a golden little boy. What a sweet nature. And it's so interesting because then Ron talks also really poignantly about having spent his entire life with too many people to share with. Harry is, of course, jealous of Ron for Ron's loving 
family and emotional support system and sort of comfort in the magical world. And Ron is kind of jealous of Harry. Jealous, yeah. Maybe not the maybe Ron's not so jealous of the fame yet, but you know, Harry's exotic, he's got an interesting story. People, people are, are interested inter- in him. Yeah, people are interested in him. He doesn't have anything to live up to. All he has, well, so Ron thinks. I mean, Harry right. obviously has being the center of the greatest wizard in conflict of all yeah. time to live up to. Well, well, grief in his life is clearly, Harry's a bit mature beyond his years, and he's more emotionally in tune with Ron, I would say, at the very beginning, than Ron is with him. I you mean, know, he's a bit more empathetic to what Ron is feeling, and Ron is like, let me see your scar. This isn't exactly a quibble, because this isn't a problem with the construction of the book. I actually think this is excellent. But Ron is not a great person. Oh, but he's eleven. I mean, he's eleven. I know, but he doesn't ever really grow out yeah, of a he... lot of the character traits that he displays in this first interaction. One of the central problems with Ron is established immediately. Which is that he has a really, really, really hard time seeing why it might not be awesome to be Harry Potter, and I think that's a that's a gap in empathy that all of the characters around Ron struggle with for the rest of the series. Hermione calls him out on it constantly later on. Ron kind of demonstrates some of the stuff that we talked about last time, which is the weird wizard class stuff. There's a pretty frank discussion of class right away here right. In, the, in the train car. And Harry's lovely because Harry really says, I don't see any reason to be embarrassed about not being able to afford things. This is the first time in my entire life I've had anything to give. Right. So the other character that makes an appearance, a reappearance, a reappearance. in this case. But this, we hear his name for the dun, first time. Dun, dun. Draco Malfoy. And Ron's like, that is a fucking stupid name. And he's like, you gonna laugh at my name? Weasley, and- <laughs> come at me. <laughs> and Ron's bro. like, Ron's like, no, it's fine, bro. I'm just laughing at your name because my dad told me your dad's a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> Draco Malfoy has no chill. He has no chill. Draco Malfoy is such a shitty bad guy. Don't you think Lucius Malfoy should pull Draco aside and be like, you need to keep your little drawling mouth shut and stop fucking telling people that we are dark wizards. He doesn't say, he basically says it. He's also the uh, second person in this book so far to say, hey, Harry, sorry, but uh, your parents deserve to die. Six chapters in. Six chapters, Six chapters in. in. We, we have two had people. two separate conversations during which somebody told Harry, with real seriousness and authority, that Harry's parents got what was coming. No, there's two things. A, Harry's parents got what was coming to them. And B, Harry is headed for the same end if he doesn't shape up. Yeah. And now one's a grown-ass man, should know better, but also, man, Draco, you're a fucking prick. Draco's a prick, and Draco is an idiot. If your parents had to say that they were bewitched by Lord Voldemort in order not to be thrown in Azkaban, a thing that you shouldn't do is brag about how good of friends your dad is with basically Voldemort. He's like, my dad said that... Voldemort was right to kill your mom and dad, and he would know because they were friends. Like, shut the fuck up, Draco. He doesn't say that outright. He just uh, strongly implies it. Right. What person who isn't a dark wizard would say that? Thinks that? that. Yeah, that's nobody. 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 
You'll soon find out some wizarding families are much better than others, Potter. You don't want to go making friends with the wrong sort. I can help you there. He held out his hand to shake Harry's, but Harry didn't take it. I think I can tell who the wrong sort are for myself, thanks, he said coolly. Draco Malfoy didn't go red, but a pink tinge appeared in his pale cheeks. I'd be careful if I were you, Potter, he said slowly. Unless you're a bit politer, you'll go the same way as your parents. They didn't know what was good for them either. The other thing that's interesting to me is, okay, so in these chapters we learn about the sorting hat and we learn what Slytherins are about and they're supposed to be really cunning and really, really clever and will like use whatever means to achieve their ends. Draco is the shittiest Slytherin. He radically overplays his hand. Zero percent he, sly. He, like, he works on Harry for like 30 seconds and, and he's then like, Harry's eh, like, the right, you want to want to get with the right people. And Harry's like, uh, I think I'm good, things. And he's like, fuck you, your parents deserve to die. Yeah, like, like uh, that is no not... No, uh, chill. You should read How to Win Friends and Influence oh, People. Oh, my God. Uh, Draco. If you know, anybody in history has needed... politician. Yeah. I mean, Harry is a winnable friend and influenceable people at this point in the book. He likes Ron, but I don't think that at this early on, his love no, of Ron No, this sells him is, on... Draco's uh, attack on Ron. Right. Sells him, sells on, him Ron. on Ron. And because also... Harry knows what it's like to be bullied and demeaned. So he, right. sides, he sides with Ron immediately. So if Draco was actually looking to recruit number one stunner wizard celebrity, he would have played that a little cooler. But also he's 11, so... 11-year-olds think not you're thinking just, that strategically. No, you're making so... I don't know what you were like as 11. You know what I knew how to do? Is fucking make people be friends with me. Maybe I'm just a girl. Yeah, Draco is really unimpressive. He's a bad Slytherin. Not he's a terrible good, Slytherin. He's a shit Slytherin. <clears throat> he's not cunning. Immediate classic bully move. He's like, give us that candy! So speaking of shitty Slytherins, let's get to the sorting. The sorting's great. The sorting's such a good scene. First of all, we're at Hogwarts. They come into the Great Hall. The castle's beautiful. The Great Hall's insane. There's ghosts. Harry says it's more incredible than he ever could have imagined. Oh my god, wait, we gotta talk about the ghosts for a second. No one warns them about the ghosts. Okay, that's <laughs> such a weird scene. Also, really important question. What the ever-living fuck happened to the Bloody Baron? I think... I think we find out in book seven, but I don't remember He's if we do. so scary. It's such a weird thing because Nearly Headless Nick. Nearly Headless Nick. It's just like this sort of stuck up, but mostly chill ghost who, you know, his head got nearly cut off. The he's frat li- friar. He's, he's literally chill. He's chill. Feels like ice water yeah. when he touches Harry. Uh, it's true. He's literally he's chill. He's chill as fuck. With the fat friar who's just like in a good mood. All the time. Um, even though he's dead. And he used to be a Hufflepuff? Like, Peeve sucks, but he's not scary. Like, the, the, but then you have the Bloody Baron, who's, like, out covered of a in, horror movie. Covered in blood. And he man. never says anything, and he just has this, like, dark, horrifying stare. So, yeah, very important question that we need to investigate in the coming chapters. Well, I guess, you think we found it in book seven? I think we do. I honestly don't remember. And the fans are going to be... I know. People, if you remember, don't tell me because I can't wait to find out again. I totally forget if we find out about the Bloody Baron. Alex is very sure that we do. I'm sure he's right. The Bloody Baron is so scary. It's the, it's like really a chilling image. And then he sits next to Draco and Harry's really psyched 
at the feast because Draco looks like ashen faced because he has to like spend the entire feast sitting next to this like super bloody ghost. <laughs> Oozing silver blood. It's disgusting. Ugh, the silver blood. It's like even grosser somehow. Anyway, and then sir, poor nearly headless Nick is like, I haven't eaten in hundreds of Five, years. 500 years. So he's mopey. I mean, I guess he would be like you're dead. Why would you be a ghost if you didn't sort of have some unfinished like shit on the earth? And I guess Sir Nicholas is, is just bitching. He should have quit while he was ahead. <laughs> Shut up. No, that was really good. So anyway, cutting so remark. We are uh, we're at the sorting. We're at the sorting. There, uh, ghosts are real. Harry learns, and he's like, "Man, there's so much coming at me right now. Right, I can't even pro. He he doesn't even like take a he doesn't even take a beat to process the fact that uh, you uh, can come yeah, back from the dead. Yeah, ghosts are, ghosts are straight up real. He's like, shit, I just gotta focus on the sorting right now. Right, and everybody like the Weasley twins told them that it was gonna be some kind of horrifying task, and Ron is like muttering. That's a cool. That's a cool thing because clearly it's cultural in the wizarding community not to spoil those those Hogwarts initiation rituals because the kids don't know about the boat ride no they don't know how the sorting it's works it's a lot of so. secrecy it's like the hillary campaign oh topical whoa <laughs> but not as cool we get the sorting hat which is basically wizard ai and um yeah, it's a it's it's a wizard sorting algorithm it's a buzzfeed basically. quiz mm-hmm. it's a buzzfeed quiz but it can read your mind yeah so we've got four houses what are the houses they are gryffindor home of the brave Land of the Free. Land of the Free. <laughs> Land of the Free, Home I of the Brave. It's mostly Home of the Brave. Okay. Ravenclaw, which is for smart, clever people. Uh Hufflepuff, which is if you're just fine. Or loyal loyal and you know You're a good. Hufflepuff. You're good. You're a good one. You're a Hufflepuff. You're a pal. Hufflepuff. Yeah, you're a Hufflepuff. Alex Dallenberg is a Hufflepuff. You heard it here first. And then Slytherin. Slytherin. Slytherin is one of my biggest quibbles in this whole series. Why is there Slytherin? They should sort everyone into Slytherin and then... Expel them or throw them in a lake. Yeah, hit a trap door. (laughs) That'd be awesome. Slytherin, and it's just a net. Yeah. A huge net comes down from the uh, ceiling. When you get sorted into Slytherin, the hat eats your head. Slytherin! We sort of learn in the next book... Enough of the lore of Hogwarts to understand, to understand why Slytherin exists. Has but to exist. Why would you have a normal ass school divided into four personality traits, and one of those traits is sociopath? <laughs> like, just kick those guys out. You should have no Slytherins at your fucking school. They are a safety hazard. They are the cause of all of your problems. If you had no Slytherins, you would just, it they're, would be. They're just a basket of deplorables. Oh my God. J.K. Rowling, here's the thing that she does not do a good job of. You do not meet a remotely redeemable Slytherin. Slughorn. But that's book six. Even then. I love Slughorn. I know. he. But, okay, fine. Slughorn, I think is the first time you come into contact with someone who was in Slytherin House who isn't immediately overtly evil. Yeah, even their ghost is uh, their ghost sketchy as hell. is so sketchy. Voldemort was a Slytherin. All of the Death Eaters were Slytherins. That's the other thing. 
couldn't you have a bad guy come out of like Gryffindor like Gryffindors seem like they could pretty easily be bad guys it just doesn't make sense to have the bad guy house just expel them right there put them back in those fucking boats and have the boats drive straight into the mouth of the sea monster that's the problem man when you rely on wizard algorithms you yeah know? no your algorithm every the so algorithm's often, biased it is it's really bi- like even the actual look if you listen to the sorting hat song his he's struggling he's struggling to say something even neutral about the personality traits of everyone in slytherin you might be longing Gryffindor, where dwell the brave at heart. Their daring nerve and chivalry set Gryffindors apart. You might be longing Hufflepuff, where they are just and loyal. Those patient Hufflepuffs are true and unafraid of toil. Or yet in wise old Ravenclaw, if you've a ready mind, where those of wit and learning will always find their kind. Or perhaps in Slytherin, you'll make your real friends. Those cunning folk use any means to achieve their ends. And their head of house is Snape, who's just a giant bat. Yeah, he's not. Uh, he's, he's definitely a, not. Encur- he's definitely not encouraging them to uh... rein it in, <laughs> like just being a shitbird wise. He's a big greasy Batman, not like Batman, but like a man who is a, just a mean bat. Just a man bat. And he's raising these batlings. Literally, their common room is in the dungeon. <laughs> how overt and the thing that's the thing that bugs me about this is the rest of this book is so subtle or maybe not subtle but most of her details are pretty and then you get to house asshole right not even house asshole house probably a serial killer let's check on him house pulling the wings off of butterflies in the yeah dark forest but at least it's not hufflefuck <laughs> No, poor, Hufflepuff. Huff, poor Hufflepuff. Everyone's like, oh. The thing is, the everyone's thir- like, I don't want to be a Huffle chump. <laughs> well, the first three Hufflepuffs we meet, we meet Hannah Ab. I mean, not me, but the, the the kids that are sorted into Hufflepuff, Ernie McMillan, Susan Bones, Hannah Abbott. All three become members of the Order of the Phoenix, I believe. Susan Bones is Dumbledore's the army. Dumbledore's army. Right. Dumbledore's army. Sorry, Susan Bones is the daughter or granddaughter of. A member of the Wizengamot. Like, they're cool. Like, they're not idiots. Yeah. Ernie McMillan turns out to be, like, a pretty cool dude. Yeah. He thinks... It's your safety house. So, we thought that we would play a fun game this episode where we give each other names that we haven't seen these lists before and of famous people and um, we sort them into Hogwarts houses. Okay, so give me give me one of yours. All right, Beyonce. Oh my god, I almost gave you Beyonce. Um Okay, the thing is I think Beyonce is a Slytherin. Whoa. If, if Queen Bey's a Slytherin if, what? If we see Slytherin the way it is intended to be, which is ruthless, self-sure, cunning, cunning and achieving ends by any means. She's not a she's not a Draco Slytherin. She's not a Draco Slytherin. She's like a Slughorn Slytherin. No, I think Beyonce is the is like a pure Slytherin, like not a bad seed Slytherin. The way we wish Slytherin. The way would be. right, Beyonce is the kind of Slytherin that I would like to see in one of these books, where she's just a strong person who knows what she wants and gets it. 
Yeah, why are Slytherins always so goony? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, there's no hot Slytherins. It seems like uh, yeah. all Slytherins wanted, should be hot. Yeah, I wanted... I, I, you want, like, a hot girl... Hot okay, Slytherins. so Beyonce is, like, a hot girl Slytherin. It's hot Slytherin. Okay, right. let me give you one. Give me one. Jonathan Franzen. Oh, man. It's a hat stall, maybe. The hat stall is where the hat can't make up its mind. Okay, between what, though? Uh, Franz probably Ravenclaw. Yeah, he's, he's too an clever. Ad-head. He's too clever by half. Uh huh. It's true. It's true. But he's not brave. He's not a Gryffindor. You know. Okay. All right. Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan. Oh my God, I have Paul Ryan on my <laughs> list. God, that's so weird of us. I know. We're such nerds. Okay. I think Paul. So yeah, that we'll both answer it then. I think Paul Ryan is an ashamed Hufflepuff. Shame, Huffle, Huffle, shame. I think Paul Ryan is a person who once upon a time came into the world with some ideas about how to make it better. They were wrong, but that's not really important. And I think he is such a Hufflepuff that he's gotten walked all over and kind of warped by the Gryffindors and Slytherins who are much stronger personalities in his life. So yeah, that might be a controversial opinion, but I actually think that Paul Ryan is probably a Hufflepuff. What do you think? That's a pretty good answer. Hmm. I actually, I'm going to go Ravenclaw again. I Ravenclaw think. is such a default for people who just, yeah, like, just seem, seem smart. Wa- seem wonky? Hmm. He's not a Gryffindor. No. He doesn't have he doesn't have the strength of character and he's not actually he's not I think apologize to any Paul Ryan fans out there. <laughs> no, Maybe I I can. think Hufflepuff is by far the nicest thing I could have come up with. That's true. We could I think been, Hufflepuff like, is all Slytherins are Republicans. No, I don't think that's true at all. I no. think Paul Ryan is someone who as a Hufflepuff in a Ravenclaw, I mean, as a Hufflepuff in a Slytherin He's a slash Hufflepuff Gryffindor in a Slytherin world. world. No, slash Gryffindor. Slash I think a Gryffindor. lot of politicians are Gryffindor, too. I think Hillary Clinton's a Gryffindor. Okay, give me another one. No, it's my turn to give you one. Yeah. Uh, Taylor Swift. Well, Emily Nussbaum, the great New Yorker writer, said she's clearly a Slytherin. Oh, my God. She's like classic Slytherin. Yeah. I just like Kanye stuff. You're not very good at talking about pop. I'm not very good at I'm like, uh... <laughs> some things happen. Some stuff she maybe fibbed a little bit, which makes her a Slytherin. I, I, I don't know. She's... Uh... She's entirely constructed. And Slytherins are constructed. Slytherins are not themselves in... I mean, well, Voldemort is actually a perfect example of the ways in which Slytherins are obsessed with constructed selves. And I think that's an obsession of Taylor Swift's, too. I'm not saying tw- Taylor Swift is Voldemort. No. I'm just saying that I think the, the the construct itself is a really Slytherin quality. No, not all Slytherins are Voldemort supporters, but all Voldemort supporters are Slytherins. Yeah, that's true. It's like rectangles and squares. Okay. LeBron James. Oh my God, that's such a good one. Gryffindor. Yeah? Yeah. Just because I like him. Um... Leader, He's leader of the team, leader. always the leader. Jocks, Gryffindor's for jocks. Gryffindor really is for jocks. That's gonna that's gonna come up in the next episode because Harry learns to fly, yeah. and that's the thing I actually really like about it. I really like that Gryffindor. LeBron is like, will be seeker, or at least big though. Seekers aren't that big. He'd be a big seeker though. That's what makes him a great basketball player. He's big and fast. <laughs> okay. All right. So LeBron's a Gryffindor. Definitely a Gryffindor. Uh, Napoleon. Oh shit! That's a good one. Honestly, he's probably Slytherin. Yeah. Why? Just the Voldemort, I mean, Napoleon, he's, I don't think he's as bad as Voldemort. 
obviously, but uh, historically speaking, you don't. Well, it's like this is a whole this is a whole separate episode. Okay, like Bonapartists and Voldemort supporters. Okay, but you know the way he maneuvered himself into power through the revolution and. Uh, he loves he loved power. I think he's a Slytherin who portrayed himself as a Gryffindor. I think that is a really good answer. Okay. As dictators often do, uh, J.K. Rowling. Is a Ravenclaw. Yeah. I think. Because she sort of, she doesn't have that sort of Gryffindor slash Slytherin like kind of fame whore stuff. She just does a thing and it's good and that's enough for her. She seems like the kind of person who the work, speaks for itself and doesn't need to be the face of it herself. So you tell me what you think I would be and then I'll tell you what I think you would be. Heather Price Wright is, hmm, tricky. Where should I put you? I think House Ravenclaw. Yeah? Yeah. That's where Pottermore put me. Why? You're very clever, but maybe not as hard of a worker as a Hufflepuff, but you don't have to be because you're a Ravenclaw which is your God-given right as a Ravenclaw. But why not a Gryffindor? I, Gryffindor seems like such a basic place to put someone because all the heroes are in it, so... I know, I want to be the hero. Okay, you're a Gryffindor then. <laughs> no. I could see you as a Gryffindor. That would be the two I would be torn between. I think between. Ravenclaw. I think you're right. I think you're a Hufflepuff. Ah, Hufflefuck. No, I'm sorry. Hufflechump. I think you're... I think you're a Hufflepuff. I'll be the best damn Hufflepuff. Well, I think Hufflepuff... I the, Okay, here's the thing, though. Because... Gryffindors are so douchey about Hufflepuff, and that is not your personality. <laughs> That's true. Like, it's actually really more your personality to be in the kind of square, hardworking gang than to make <laughs> fun of the square, hardworking gang. And clearly, Hufflepuffs aren't idiots. Cedric Diggory is a Hufflepuff. This a lot is of, true. A lot of great, a lot of like just workhorse characters. A lot of people who just do the right thing and make their families and their nations proud and are just like low-key lovely come out of Hufflepuff and they're not like Gryffindors one of the reasons I think I might be a Gryffindor is Gryffindors are like dicks the opposite of Slytherin they are they're they're, still but they're on the same coin strong personalities right we're just like you guys are too much yeah I gotta I one of the things I wish in these books I really wish we got to know some Hufflepuffs and Ravenclaws better actually you know, Lovegood's Ravenclaw. Oh, okay. I'll be in Ravenclaw. We'll get to that later. That's right. And she's wonderful. Really, truly wonderful. I think the hat should teach a class. Oh my god, I would 100% go to the hat's class. I'm. Just, it's not fair that they put him in that closet all year. I'm the hat saying. could teach, like, wizard computer science. Yeah. That would be awesome. could be like, this is how you make a hat that read mine. reads me. minds. Yeah. Right. Let's talk unsung heroes. Oh, what is our unsung hero for this section? Neville! Neville, yeah. Neville's the unsung hero. Neville is so great. Also, I love Neville because Neville is such a sweet, round-faced little idiot in this book. We all know this kid. Maybe we were this kid. Oh my god. And he can't find his toad. And he's super frantic. And Ron is like, ugh, I would like lose my toad on purpose if I had a toad. And everybody like side-eyes Ron because Ron's rat is disgusting. (laughs) But then by the end of the series, this round-faced, forgetful little sweetheart, this munchkin, is like fucking Mad Max. Yeah. Like leading the like inside Hogwarts rebel whatever. It's insane. Neville's great. Unsung hero. Who's your unsung hero? Scabbers? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I hey, get, you know, he, go, he goes... Uh, he bites... 
He goes balls to the wall, man, after uh, Crab and Goyle. It's true. He does. You know? Say, say. He's a better pet than he is he a man. He makes a better pet than a man. That's all I'll have to say about that. Okay. Next week, our chapters will be The Potions Master, The Midnight Duel, and Halloween. Halloween. The other character that we're going to finally spend some time with, finally, oh my god, I can't wait, is Hermione motherfucking Granger. Yeah, we didn't want to give her short shrift. No, Hermione's perfect. She's also my unsung hero, but like she'll get sung. She's the young, yeah, she'll be sung. She'll be sung. She... Perma unsung heroes, Minerva McGonagall, Hermione Granger. Making, the only, making Hogwarts work. The only people in this entire book, the only people in this entire series, the only person, people in this entire world who know what the fuck they is going on. pay attention. They do. So, yeah, that's it for this week's episode of the Quibbler Podcast. Uh, thanks so much for listening. The audio clips are by the incomparable Jim Dale's audio performance of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, available on Audible or wherever fine audiobooks are sold. Um, this week's sponsor is Madame Malkin's Robe Shop. The only place we know where to get robes, so... Uh, Ron needs new ones. Ron needs new ones. Go to Madame Malkin's. Go to Madame Malkin's. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, amigos. Yeah.